Well, good to see everyone today. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Yay, thank you, Pastor Aaron. So good to see you. If you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you came today. This is the second week of a series on the life of Elijah called Pressed. And I want you to make sure to track with me. And so if you missed last week, please get online and, and, and watch that so that we can be on this journey together. Uh, and, and I'm excited for what we're going to discover in God's Word today. But so a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, I was confronted with a little problem. I walked into the kitchen and I found a puddle of water on the floor underneath the refrigerator. And that's never a good feeling, but thankfully this wasn't as bad as maybe it could have been. I, I, I realized what had happened was that the, the, uh, the, the freezer part at the bottom had been left open. And so all, all of the you know, stuff had been melting and thawing out. And, and then icicles are starting to grow to try to make up for the problem. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so I, I realized, we've realized we've got a freezer full of food that some of which has thawed out on us. And so uh, we're going through that process. Maybe you've been there where you're digging stuff out of the freezer and trying to see what you can salvage, right? Anybody ever experienced that? And, and as we're digging stuff out, I'm looking and I'm going, dude, these pastry puffs are from 2018. <laughs> like, it's crazy when you find stuff in, in your freezer that's been there for literally like four years, right? And, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, man, we live in good days. I'm, I'm living in good days. If I can have food in my freezer that I've not needed so much that it can just sit in the bottom of my freezer for four years, right? Like that, that reflects something. That reflects some kind of an element of the goodness of God. And, and I'm going to say I'm grateful for that. And also, I, I want to recognize, too, that it isn't always like that for everybody. And as we get into the scriptures today in, uh, in 1 Kings in chapter 17, and you can go ahead and begin to turn there now to 1 Kings chapter 17, you're going to find uh, the exact opposite of what I just described. Not a bunch of extra in the freezer, but uh, a bunch of whole lot of nothing. And I, I want to understand what is God's heart in the middle of those kinds of moments? What is the heart of God into the moments in our life when th there's not anything extra, there's nothing that we need available? What is God's heart in those moments? And so this is uh, the life of Elijah. And so I want to make sure that we jump in uh, into First uh, Kings 17 with a little bit of background. And so last week we saw God raised up this prophet Elijah in, in the beginning of this chapter because King Ahab, who was the king of God's people, had gone off the rails and was leading God's people astray. And so the prophet rose up, in a sense, to say, no more, no more. And so the prophet Elijah is bringing that sense of the standard of God and the power of God and the authority of God. But then God commands him to leave the promised land and go out into the wilderness, a place called the Kareth Ravine. And so the prophet Elijah has been out in the wilderness in the Kareth Ravine, and God said, I'm going to command a raven to bring you your food in the morning and the night, and you're going to have plenty of water from the brook, even though it's going to be a three-year drought in the land. You're going to be okay, Elijah. That in and of itself is a message. Right, that God has a heart for his people to find a way to experience a thriving, even in the middle of totally adverse conditions in the world around. I'm taking that as a promise. <laughs> but Elijah is experiencing God's goodness in a unique way out there in the Kareth Ravine. 
finding that, that bread in the morning and meat in the morning dropped off by a raven, bread in the morning, meat in the morning dropped off by a raven. He's drinking fresh water from a, from a bubbling brook, and life is good. That's what's going on. Uh, yeah, it's a little awkward in the sense that he's, he's not where he is from, and it's not necessarily comfortable to be living out there in the wilderness, but he's experiencing God coming through for him. And he's drinking from that brook. And then in verse uh, 7, that's where we're going we're gonna to jump in, at 1 Kings 17, 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. All right. This, this is one of those prophet moments where the prophet is hearing from God. But before we get into what he heard from God, I want you to just dwell with Elijah for a moment. Because he's, he's gotten used to these birds dropping off of his meals. And he's gotten used to this bubbling brook just being there for him every day. And, and if I'm imagining it, I'm imagining Elijah coming to the brook one morning and he's going, wait a minute. Where's the little gurgling, bubbling aspect of this thing? It stopped. And maybe that one day there's enough in a puddle. And he's getting some of the water out of the puddle. But then the next day, now even the puddle is just mud. And he's probably distressed. Can you put yourself in his shoes? I mean, maybe you and I can understand what it's like a little bit when the brook dries up. The brook dries up. That brook represents maybe for some of us what we have become accustomed to receiving from God and the way we've become accustomed to receiving it from God. And the brook can dry up in any number of ways. The brook may dry up in, in a relationship that you thought was going to last forever until they up and walked out on you. And the brook dried up. What is God doing? The brook dried up. The business that you launched has crashed and burned and no longer providing for you. What do you do when the brook dries up? What is God doing when the brook dries up? The brook dried up for Elijah. And here's what I know. When the brook dries up, that sense of desperation has a way of driving us to the divine. When we find ourselves in a moment where things are being removed, it causes us to get in touch with our need for God like never before, doesn't it? And in Elijah's moment where the brook's drying up, I mean, we don't get it in the text, but because I know that this is a man of God, I believe him to be one who's crying out to God. That's how he's able to hear the word of the Lord coming to him. Sometimes the things that test us are the very things that actually turn us to seek the presence and power of God. And this desperation drives him to the divine, and the divine, 
the word of God comes to him, and the word of the Lord came to him. I want you to just say that in verse 8. It said it, and the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. Say it with me. The word of the Lord came to him. Say it again. The word of the Lord came to him. Picture Elijah. He's dealing with this mud pit that used to be a bubbling, gurgling brook of fresh spring water, and now the word of the Lord is coming to him. God, what are you doing? You told me to come out here to this carriage ravine. God, you said that I would be able to drink from the brook. God, where is your provision? God, what are you doing? And in the middle of his crying out, God comes to him and speaks. I want you to let this, let this make an imprint on your spirit, that there is a way in which in the middle of your desperation, the divine voice of God is still ringing out. If you will seek him, he's going to speak to you too. The word of the Lord coming to Elijah, this isn't just for Elijah. This is how you and I get to anticipate living as well. Somebody, somebody didn't come with a cup of coffee this morning. Oh, they're so quiet. Like you forgot that, it, that there was a good news coming to you from the word of God. Like it's okay to sometimes say amen when you hear some truth that's spoken. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord can come to you and me. And, and we're made for an experience like Elijah of actually catching what God is saying in the middle of our moments, especially when those brook dry up moments are happening. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Okay, wait. Okay, wait. You're, you're sending me. Uh, you see how hungry I am. You see how much I don't have anymore, and you're sending me to a what? Wh where? <laughs> you're sending me to a, a widow? Oh, man. I, you know what? If I'm Elijah, I can come up with three reasons real fast why this doesn't sound like a good idea, God. I mean, first of all, you, you are sending me to Zarephath. Here I am in Kareth, and you're sending me to Zarephath. That's 100 miles away, and I'm walking. <laughs> That's far, and I don't have water. And by the way, God, you're sending me to Zarephath. That's in the middle of Sidon. That is Jezebel's hometown. That's like the birthplace of Baal worship. You want me to go where? That's further away from the promised land. What are you saying? And you're sending me to a, a can I say it again, God? A widow. A widow. Really? Want to send me to a, a farmer, at least, who's got, you know, maybe something, or, or, or to a business owner, or maybe to a general in the army, but somebody who might have something. But you're sending me to a widow. What, what I wanted to make sure that we caught today is that while we should anticipate the word of God coming to us, it's not always going to be exactly what you were hoping to hear. And the word of the Lord came to him, and it probably wasn't exactly what he was hoping to hear. And sometimes God's direction is challenging to us because God is maybe less interested in whether we're comfortable than in whether we're becoming who he's really created us to be. And for us to actually begin to be transformed more and more into who he's called us to be, there may need to be some moments that we step into that are challenging. But what I find in Elijah is a willing, a willing heart. God is moving in this moment. God is moving. Everybody say, God is moving. 
God is moving. I mean, we know it because he's speaking, so God is moving. And God is moving. He's literally moving Elijah from Kareth to Zarephath. On one hand, these are just two locations. Zarephath is over here and Kareth is over here. But I want you to remember where he's been. He's been in the Kareth ravine. Kareth literally means cut off or even cut down. And he was. He was cut off from what was comfortable. He was cut off from the society, the friends, the familiar people, the places. He was maybe even being cut down a little. Cut down where? Because he's in hiding. And so uh, he, he's not the great and mighty man of God anymore. He's this man of God who's, who's hiding. There's a, a reality to Kareth. But that, that, that it was doing something in his spirit. But God is now moving and taking him from Kareth, the place of being cut off, to Zarephath. In Zarephath, this word is a word that means the smelter or the refinery, where, where metal is heated up and banged into a new shape. It's just the name of a town. But I think maybe there's a prophetic message in it. God's taking him from the place where he was cut off to the place where he's going to be turning up the heat in his life so that something can take shape that God had intended for all time. And, and what I find in Elijah is a heart of obedience to be willing to live in dependence on God. And that's, that's part of what he's doing when he responds to God's word to him, God's word to him, I want you to just read verse 9 one more time. God said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. I'm going to just pause there. God's word was, go at once. Go at once. I want everybody to say those three words. Go at once. Say it. Go at once. One more time. Say it. Go at once. Go at once. God is speaking to the prophet Elijah, go at once. And this word go, it's the word in Hebrew, halak, which means to walk. It means to go on the journey. It means to move. It means to take steps one after another. As in God saying, I want to move, Elijah, but it's going to require that you would also move. And I believe the same is true in your life, that it is though God would be saying, yes, I want to move in your life, daughter, but I need you to move. I want to move in your life, son, but I want to see your willingness to move with me. And God's word to Elijah, I think, is a message to somebody right here, right now, today. Go at once. Say it again. Go at once. On that journey willing to walk, moving, taking step after step, go at once. Has God been speaking to you about something? Then go at once into it. Has God been speaking to you about, uh, about trusting him for a promotion at that job? Well, then maybe you need to go at once and complete that certification that gets you the qualification for that improvement. Has God been speaking to you about getting restoration in, in that relationship, then go at once and humble yourself and own your part of the deal and apologize and see how that doesn't maybe begin to thaw the ice that could make way for a restoration to take place. 
for somebody else? Has God been speaking to you about a dream to have your own business one day? Well, then go at once and buy the domain and file a business license. Has God been speaking to you about, about finding a, a healing ministry taking place, seeing other people get healed? Then go at once and lay hands on the sick and begin to pray for the sick until somebody gets healed. Are you with me? God's word is still true. Go at once. There's something about obedience that unlocks an experience of God's providence. And I want us to see this. In the life of Elijah, there's something of a, of a sequence. There's something of a, of a cycle. Our God, one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, the God of provision. And you can't read this first section of Elijah's life and not recognize that who you're looking at is Jehovah Jireh coming through. He's bringing provision. And there is something, though, of a sequence in the life of Elijah. I'm going to call it uh, the Jireh cycle. It's a, it's a cycle that leads to an experience of God's provision. And it begins with obedience. And then it continues with dependence, and then an experience of providence that leads to abundance. I want you to just catch this sequence. It begins with obedience. It continues with dependence. It then leads to providence, which makes way for abundance. I want you to say these four words with me out loud. Obedience, dependence, providence, abundance. Say it again. Obedience, dependence, Providence, abundance. Say it again. Obedience, dependence, providence, and abundance. And what I see in the life of Elijah is this sequence playing itself out. But I believe that it provides a picture of what God is, in fact, willing to do for sons and daughters across time because he never changes. And if this is the way he acts and moves in the life of the man of God called Elijah, I believe it's the way he's willing to move and act in the life of the man of God called Keith or the woman of God called Brenda. I, I believe it, and I'm trusting God for it, that if I would be willing to hear his prompts and act in obedience, to walk in obedience to God, that I can live in a place of dependence on God, that I'm going to be putting myself in a position to receive the providence of God, and that's going to make way for the abundance of God. But let me begin here, that I walk in obedience to God, and I live in dependence on God. I want you to just say this with me. It's the first part of my message. I walk in obedience to God, and I live in dependence on God. Say it again. I walk in obedience to God. And I live in dependence on God. That's what I see here in the life of Elijah. A willing heart to obey as God is speaking to him, as God's word is coming to him. Elijah is one that's saying, yeah, I wasn't wanting to leave the promised land, but if you're telling me to go to Kareth, okay. But God, I didn't want to have to hope every day that you were going to come through, but that's where you've brought me, and I'm willing to live in dependence on you. I liked it better when I could be making it all happen myself, but God, I realized the goodness of living in a place and in a time and in a season where I'm in total dependence on you. 
And, and I see Elijah living out this cycle in a way that brings, brings blessing. But let me, let me just tell you on a personal level what it's like to be living in dependence on God and what can happen. About 10 years ago, we were, uh, as a church community, in the process of getting ready to build this building, like the phase one of it before the back was added on. And it's, it's a big deal whenever, as a church community, you're doing something like that. And it requires a whole bunch of people to seek the Lord and say, God, I realize this is going to cost some money, so uh, let, let's do our part. And so for Ann and I, uh, we felt God prompting us in that moment to give in a way that was, for us at that time, a pretty big deal. And we heard God's voice, the word of the Lord coming to us about what we should do, what our part was, above and beyond our tithing. And man, it felt like a, a crazy amount, but we made our commitment and we began to uh, make good on that commitment. And then I started struggling with some pain in my body and I saw the doctor. The doctor prescribed something for me that helped with the pain quite a bit and it was a non-narcotic uh, pain uh, medication, and I was glad to have that. I want the healing of the Lord, but I'll also accept how his goodness can come through the medical community too. And uh, I, I, I got the sample from the doc for a month, and it was, it was working for me. And then I went to the pharmacist to start buying it, and this was 10 years ago. And the, the pharmacist said, yep, that's going to be $347 for a one-month supply. For me, at that time, that was crazy money. I mean, that was more than our car payment. And we had, we had stepped in obedience to make a, a big financial commitment. And, and now I could not even come close to affording this medication I needed. And I began to cry out, God, what are you going to do? And, and I've learned in my life to shift my cry. Because if, I, if I'm stuck on a cry of, oh, what am I going to do? Then that's all I'm going to be depending on. But if I can shift my cry to, God, what are you going to do? <laughs> then I'm living in dependence on God. And sometimes it takes a moment, a circumstance that jacks us into that place. And I was in that place. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm putting this back on you because you spoke to me. And I've walked in obedience. But now I'm in dependence on you because I need this medication. I don't know how it all happened. But I do know this that something like a, a, within a week, a family in this church sent something to me, sent me the money that I would need for a one-year supply of that medication. And this was not some family living high on the hog up on the hill somewhere. This was a family down the street in a tract home just like mine, just, just feeling their own word of the Lord coming to them, saying, we're going to step up in obedience. And, and their obedience led to my experience in my moment of dependence of experiencing providence from God. Do you see how that works? Let me just keep reading, though. In, 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 we're going to jump back into 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 10. My, i got to catch up with myself. i got a long way to go. In verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her, and he asked... Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, oh, oh, and please bring me a piece of bread. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Oh, <laughs> nice to meet you too out here by the well. You know, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> Elijah, right? He's, remember, he's traveled 100 miles from Kareth to Zarephath. He didn't have water when he left because the brook had dried up. How he even made it, who knows? But I know he's showing up at the town gate. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. And he's remembering, like, okay, God, uh, you, just, you, you said you would supply a, oh, yeah, it was a widow, a widow. He's looking around. And she looks like she probably maybe could be a widow. I don't know. And, and this is what he's confronted with, this woman who's saying, I don't have anything. And I wonder if maybe he's thinking to himself, let me see, I wonder if there's some other widows around here, like some <laughs> widows that might have inherited their husband's house or something. I don't know. But instead, he's meeting this woman who is a single mom and who is a widow and who is completely depressed, so poor that she is in such despair that she's at the point of, of death in, in this moment. But Elijah speaks to this woman as he's confronted with her need, and something happens. You know, when, when you come around a, a position or a place or a circumstance where there's lack and insufficiency, it can feel totally dark. It can feel like a situation of complete despair. And what you're actually being confronted with in some cases is a spirit of lack. And that spirit of lack, coming from an actual experience of insufficiency, can become something that breeds hopelessness. And when you are confronted with that hopelessness and despair that comes from lack, you can find yourself almost choking on the, on the constricting sense of what that spirit is doing. And Elijah, he's confronted with that spirit of lack and the despair and the depression and the angst and the worry and the hopelessness that this woman is carrying around because of it. And he could have gotten swept up into it. You know, when you're around a spirit like that, you can practically find yourself kind of cooperating with it and coming into agreement with it and feeling the same things. But Elijah had a word from the Lord. Elijah had a word from the Lord. The word from the Lord is, I have directed a widow there to supply your needs. In the older translation, I have commanded a widow there to supply your needs. He had a word from the Lord. God's word to him was, the supply is going to come. And, and so he didn't have any qualms about passing on a word to her that was also a bit of a challenge in the midst of her lack because he had also lived through a season of lack and experienced the word of the Lord coming to him. And he had discovered that his obedience has a direct effect on his experience of God's providence. And so he's able to issue this challenge to this woman that obviously, from her response, we know she wasn't too happy to hear. But nevertheless, he brings it. He knew that God's providence was tied to obedience. Sometimes your word from the Lord is what can carry you through the moments where there is lack. In my own experience, 
I feel like my life story has been punctuated by so many of these kind of moments. One of them is years ago when I first came to become the pastor of this church. And when I first started, I mean, there's maybe uh, 50 or 60 people that were the body, the faithful ones, a remnant, believing God, digging in their heels, saying, God, we're not letting go. But the truth was, as a church, we, we were, everything was in the red. And, and I stepped into a moment where the first meeting I had was, well, we don't, we're not sure whether we can pay the rent on the storefront place or whether we can pay the utility bills. Which would you like to not pay? Because we can't afford both. That was one of my first meetings. And I was, I was a, I mean, I was a punk kid at that time. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling the weight of it. The weight of the responsibility of that. And not knowing what to do with it. But I had a word from the Lord. God had spoken to me right before I began in this role. And he spoke to me as clear as day telling me, you be strong and do the work. And we're moving and we're going to have a new identity. And he gave me this picture of what he wanted to do. And it was a word in a picture form with a mantle of responsibility and prophetic empowerment to go after it. And so even though in that moment it was total lack, it was total insufficiency, I, I did not get stirred up with the fear because I had a word from the Lord. I had a word from the Lord. In verse 13, this is what I see. In the middle of that lack, the prophet Elijah confronts it with this one particular phrase. He said, do not be afraid. In verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Everybody say it. Do not be afraid. Okay, I said don't. So say it again. Don't be afraid. Say it. Don't be afraid. This is a word from the Lord. And it's one that we all need to hear often because we do face circumstances that challenge us, that push us to the edge, that cause us to be uncertain, that are threatening, that are concerning. But in those moments, we need, like Elijah, to be able to hear and even say, don't be afraid. And even to say it over our own lives, I'm not going to be afraid. Yes, there are things to be concerned, to take concern about, but what I'm going to run with is courage into the very thing that causes me to feel afraid. Don't be afraid. Your experience of God's providence may require you to appropriate to yourself a courage that would move you to lay fear aside so that you can take up your faith. I think we're in the middle of one of those moments in our world at large. This moment is a moment that is causing you to, to come to a crossroads. And which way am I going to go? Am I going to go down the road where I'm responding in fear to everything I see and I'm bowing down in fear to everything I see? Or am I going to rise up with a prophetic courage emboldened and empowered by faith in who my God is and in what he can do in my life. This is what we're made for. And this moment is calling it out in you and me. It's calling it out in you right now. Woman of God, rise up in faith. Man of God, don't give in to the fear, but rise up with your faith and the power that your faith makes available to you. Rise up. Don't be afraid, he said. Don't be afraid. But verse 13, one more time, he said, don't be afraid. 
go home and do as you have said. We're talking about an experience of the, uh, the abundance of God, the provision of God, the providence of God. But this doesn't mean that we kick back on our loyals and, and just wait until God does something. The prophet said to this woman, don't be afraid, but go home and do as you said. So here she is. She's, she's gathering up sticks. I mean, sticks. She didn't even have any wood back at her house She's gathering up sticks, and it's like as though God, through the prophet, is saying, yeah, go ahead. Keep gathering them. Keep gathering those sticks. Keep finding what you can. Keep gathering those sticks. And do, go ahead, take them home. And put those sticks into that fireplace and get the two of them and do that thing that maybe they did 3,000 years ago, rubbing them fast to get the sparks going. Do that. Do that. Get down there, move your head to the side, and blow into that into that fireplace till the flames start licking up. And do that. Go and do as you have said. And take that little tiny bit of flour that you do have. Take that little bit of oil that you do have. And get it mixed together. Knead that dough. Knead it and mix it. And put it together as a loaf. And put it on that fire. Don't just kick back and think that God, like a genie in the bottle, is just going to do it all. You do your part. Brother, sister... Do your part. Do you want to experience the providence of God? Then I believe that God would be speaking to you and saying, then do your part. I want to move in your life, but I want to see you move in obedience that allows you to express the reality that is truth all along anyway, that you do live in dependence on God. And as you do that, you are opening the way for the providence of God to come. And that leads to the possibility of the abundance of God. Do. Your willingness to work it is part of how God is going to work his miracle in your life. And so I want to I keep reading 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 14. This is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord your God, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on. We're going to pause right there. This word of the Lord is a word from the prophet Elijah declaring an unusual provision from God. This is a prophetic word from God declaring a powerful and mysterious way that God was going to come through. It just won't run out. It will not run out. And I believe that for some of us, part of what is next in our life of faith is to learn how to do a little bit like Elijah and to stand not just praying, oh, God, I need you, and oh, God, what is going to happen, and oh, God, but instead to begin to stand up and in spiritual authority and faith to make a declaration like the prophet Elijah did by faith. God, I believe that because of who you are and the nature of who you are as Jehovah Jireh, it isn't going to run out. What I need to be able to pay for my daughter's tuition, it isn't going to run out. I believe you for that, God. <laughs> what we need as a family to be able to make it right now, it's not going to run out. This is, this is spiritual vitality on display. This is trusting God on display. This is old school chutzpah 
on display. And I think that men and women of God, dig deep and bring it. Into the middle of the lack you bring your trust in God being true to his name, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, the one who comes through, the one who pulls through and comes to your defense. This is what I see Elijah doing. He's speaking a word of the Lord. Again, verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is what I see here. I see Elijah looking at the situation the way someone who's living a life of faith looks at a situation. Okay, he, he sees a woman who's so poor that she doesn't even have firewood, she's scavenging for sticks. He sees a woman who's so poor that she literally says, I, I have a, a handful of oil, a handful of flour. That's it. And he could look at that and start shaking his head. And he could partner with the spirit of lack and insufficiency and say, oh, man, that's, wow, you should just go home and have the last supper. Not that one. We're not there yet. I'm a prophet, and I know, but. <laughs> but instead... He looks at it differently. He looks beneath the surface. And I wanted to tell somebody today, do not assess God's supply by what you see on the surface. Because he's an immeasurably more kind of a God. My God is able to do immeasurably more than all we even ask or imagine according to his power, which is at work within us, which is at work within us. Is it? Do you trust in Jesus? And then is God's power at work within us? You better believe it and you better believe it. Because we are called to be people who live by faith and not by sight. That is the word of God for somebody today. Say it out loud from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith and not by sight. Say it again. We live by faith and not by sight. This is who we are called to be. It's who Elijah was. And this is a type and shadow for you and me, an example, a template of what's possible when we're living a life laid out before God and trust in him, dependence on him. Elijah had personally lived in obedience to God that had placed him in a situation where he was in dependence on God. And in that dependence, he experienced the providence of God. And it has now led to an experience of the abundance of God. So the second part of this message, which I'm, huh, I'm finishing right here and right now, is that I experience the providence of God and I anticipate abundance from God. I want you to say that phrase with me. I experience the providence of God and I anticipate the abundance of God. Say it again. I experience the providence of God and I anticipate the abundance of God. I do. If I'm learning to live like a man of God, like I see in Elijah, or if you're learning to live like a woman of God as you see in the life of Elijah, then this is part of it. I experience the providence of God and I anticipate the abundance 
of God. There is an abundance that comes through in this moment. It it wasn't God saying, all right, fine, I'm going to give you just enough for today, just enough for tomorrow. No, it was a, it's not ever running out kind of an abundance. It's a more than enough kind of an abundance. And what I also notice is that in order for this woman to experience that abundance, she had to make use of that providence. She had to use it. As long as she was using that oil and using that flour, it did not run out. In order for her to experience the miracle of replenishment, she had to embrace a releasing of what God had been providing. And that's the same for you and I. God doesn't give to us so that we can simply hoard for ourselves. God gives to us as he gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower, the one who's willing to invest it and spend it and plant it and put it into action and put it into use. He's looking for somebody who's willing to say, I will be a sower then. And his supply comes and is unfailing. And it's a reflection of his goodness. And so I step back and I just see the big picture here. And the big picture is here's a single mom who is also a widow who's living in a place of depression. But God comes through for her. Let's not miss the big picture. That's what we're seeing is God demonstrating his faithfulness. And so for somebody, maybe you're in a situation like this. And I want you to take this and and I want you to Hold on to it in your heart. God, you're speaking to me. You're giving me hope for how you're going to come through in my circumstance. And let this prompt you with some faith today to believe God, to be true to his word, true to his name. Yeah. And at the same time, I want to say to somebody today, the ultimate provision of God's abundance comes in Jesus. Everybody who's a believer... Do not ever take for granted how good it is that you've been saved from your sin. Do not ever take for granted that God made a way for you to have eternal life. Don't ever take it for granted that you're not going to hell and that instead you have the hope of heaven and you live with the power of heaven here and now. Do not ever take that for granted. Somebody who's a believer, maybe your hands should go up right now. And maybe you should just shake your head with some gratitude to say, thank you, my God. Thank you, my God, for saving me. I'll never get tired of saying, thank you, my God. I would never want to be so proud as to go, yeah, 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 it's just the gospel. I heard that a long time ago. I believed that for a long time. No, 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 no. This is every day, thank you again, God, in a humility that pleases him. God, thank you for forgiving me and saving me. But for somebody today, I want you to know this. I want you to know there's a way to be right with God, a way for you to experience the ultimate, the ultimate providence of God and abundance of God. And it's in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said about himself, you want to talk about bread? I am it. I am the bread. This is what he said. This is his word. He said in, in, in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's declaring that this is key to life. A real spiritual life isn't all about, uh, I got more stuff for myself and I'm making my life all about that. But instead it's about 
God and what he's speaking to you and his word becoming a foundation for your life. That's how to really live. And Jesus says, I am the bread. John 6, 47. He said, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes this has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. That's the word of Jesus. And for somebody right now, I want you to take that to heart. He said, whoever believes this has eternal life. He didn't say whoever hears about this because they came to church has eternal life. But whoever believes this. And for somebody, it's time for you to cross the line. You have been, uh, you know, interested. You've been checking things out. You've been kind of a spectator and, you know, good. But now come all the way through. Believe. Believe in who Jesus says he is. The bread of life. The one who can ultimately satisfy your soul. Believe Jesus to be who he says he is. The one who gives eternal life because he is the bread of life. Believe him to be the one who will forgive your sins and save you forever. This is the gospel. That God has so much love, so much love for every single person on this planet. God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. And so that's the question. So have you come to a point in your life where you finally acknowledged, I can't fix it. I need to be forgiven. I need the grace of God. And have you had a moment where once and for all you've said, Jesus, I'm crying out to you. Would you forgive my, my sin and save my life? That's what needs to happen for somebody right now. And for, for some of us, uh, maybe today is just a, rem a reminder of the goodness of the gospel. And let's thank him for it. But for someone else, I want to pray. We're going to take a couple of minutes right now and pray together. And the first thing I want to do is I want to pray that for somebody, uh, there's a, a response to the gospel. And that you would be the one who would believe in Jesus today for the first time and be saved. I want to take some time to pray for that. And then I want us to pray together over our needs that we would experience unusual, mysterious, miraculous provisions. Let's pray in those two ways. First of all, let's pray together. Why don't you nod your head, bow your head, close your eyes if you want. But God, I pray right now that you would cause every one of us who's a believer to be quickened in our spirit with a gratitude, a, a, a broken-hearted joy about how you've saved us. A contrite spirit, a heart that's never losing sight of the cost. And God, I pray that there would be, for those of us who are trying to put the pieces together, a spiritual awakening right here and right now. And for somebody, I, I want you to hear this. This is the gospel. And I'll put it personally to you. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that you could wake up and believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life. This is God's greatest destiny for you to step into by faith. And for somebody right now, it's time to cross the line. It's time to make it personal. It's time for you personally to decide, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have all the answers. I still have some questions, but I'm giving my life to Jesus. And for someone, I'm asking you to let that light bulb moment happen right now. Holy Spirit, come. Would you allow that awakening to happen for somebody? If you're here today or you're joining online, but you would say, I need to do that, 
I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to ask Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and save my life. I want to do that. I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's where you are right now and you want to say yes to Jesus and give him your life and receive his gift of salvation, right now I want you to raise your hand with me. I want you to put it up high right now as your way of finally saying, I want to give my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sins and save my life. I want to know that I'm forgiven and saved. You keep your hand up right now. Raise it high so I can see you. If you're joining me online, I want you to just type it into the comments saying, I am giving my life to Jesus. And we're going to pray for you. And our ministry team is going to come find you right now and bring a Bible to you. And with your hand raised, I want you to uh, simply pray with me. Jesus Christ, I give you my life. Would you forgive my sins and save me? I believe in you. And I trust you. I repent and I turn to you, Jesus. I believe you paid the price for me when you died on the cross and I'm asking you to come into my life and make me new. Jesus, I'm yours from this moment on. Thank you for new life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right, now I want us to take a moment and pray over the needs that some of us have. Because didn't you see it in the scriptures? unusual, miraculous provision. Isn't that the big picture of what we saw? Ravens dropping off the bread and the meat and a bubbling brook for the man of God in the middle of a drought and then a, a widow who had nothing but the very last ingredients of, for one meal is living for months and maybe even years by the supernatural provision of God. It's a reflection of what is possible. It's the abundance of God. And we begin with obedience. And we stand in total dependence on God. And then we experience the providence of God. But we also anticipate the abundance of God. Unusual miracles of supply and providence and abundance. Uh, maybe for some of us, we have all we need. Somebody who has all that they need, maybe you should just shout amen or thank you God or something. Unless you take it for granted or think that you did it all by your own bad self. But the scriptures I read show me that the goodness of the provision of the having enough isn't because of how clever we are. It's a, because of how good our king is. And so I want us to, maybe if, if everything's good for us, maybe we want to pray for somebody else right now who's in a place of need. Maybe for somebody, you need to hear the word of the Lord coming to you saying, you are my vessel of providence for that woman. Maybe you ought to step up like an Elijah and be willing to be a conduit of faith to somebody. But for someone else, I want us to take a moment and just stand and make some declarations. I want you to stand up with me. Would you stand up together? We're about to uh, wrap up our time together, but I, I want you to move in the spirit on your own behalf in this moment. And to do that, I want you to make some spiritual declarations based on the Word of God with an anticipation of the abundance of God. Now, let me make something really clear. We just embraced the gospel. that Jesus Christ is Savior and His forgiveness is a free gift. That's the gospel. But now I do want to address God's willing heart to bring the blessing of his abundance and even his prosperity to his sons and daughters. Based on his word, I want to make some declarations. I declare Proverbs 10:22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. 
Somebody, you need to bring that as your declaration. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Somebody right now, you're wondering, wait a minute, am I allowed to say that? Because that sounds like the prosperity gospel. I already made it clear. The gospel was the gospel. That's one thing. But what we're acknowledging is the Father's heart that comes through the Father's word and his own truth. And sometimes what we need to do is lay hold of it and declare it and believe him for it. So I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to ask you to maybe repeat it with me. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I want you to declare it. I believe the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And you know what, God, maybe I haven't seen it yet, but I'm not going to stop believing you for it. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and you add no sorrow to it, God. So I'm believing you for that, Lord. I'm making this declaration, Psalm 112, verse 3. The man that fears the Lord, wealth shall be in his house. For the righteous, the one that fears the Lord, wealth shall be in his house. That is the word of God. That's not me making something up. That is a reflection of the same God who miraculously, unusually supplied provisions to Elijah and to a widow in need, has a heart that for the one who fears the Lord, that there would be wealth in their house. That wealth in their house. I want to declare it, that God, I believe that for the one that fears the Lord, there will be wealth in their house. Say it with me. For the one that fears the Lord, there will be wealth in their house. I, I'm believing you for this. In Matthew 6, verse 33, you said, Jesus, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. God, you said it, and I believe it, that all these things, these things that I need, these things pertaining to the bills I got to pay, they shall be added unto me. I believe you at your word, God, and I declare this over my life. This, say it with me. I declare, all these things shall be added unto me. That's the word of God, and I'm believing him for it. In Proverbs, sorry, in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I believe that what we saw with Elijah was a living picture of exactly that. God supplying the needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And for the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, uh, one jar, one bit of flour, never running out, that can happen. I believe that you shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Declare it with me. I believe you will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. In Christ Jesus, I believe you for it, God. I believe you for it, God, because it's who you are. You are my God who provides. That's who you said you were. That's who you revealed yourself to be. The one who is provision. The one who is more than enough. You are Tyra. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Tyra, you are enough. Hey, you are Tyra, you are enough, oh, you are Tyra, you are enough, I believe this, you are Tyra, you are enough, 
say it, Jaira. Jaira, you are enough. Oh my God, you are. Jaira, you are enough. And I'll be content. And I will be content in every circumstance. Hallelujah. Jesus. God, in this moment, we confront every spirit of lack, every spirit of insufficiency, and we refuse to partner with it anymore. And for some of us, God, we confront any spirit of pride in which we might have thought that we were the source, and we refuse to partner with it anymore. And instead, in this moment, we declare it again, God, we recognize you are the source of absolutely everything. And we walk in obedience. And we throw ourselves into life that's dependent on you. And we expect, God, that in your goodness, we're going to experience your providence. You're providing. You're providing. You're providing. It's who you are. And that will lead and make way for an abundance. An abundance. Because you are Tyra. You are enough, oh my God, you are Tyra, you are enough, and I'll be content, be content in every you believe that he's enough, church? you believe that he's enough? So good, so good. Well, we don't want you to leave without doing two things. The first thing is connecting, and the second thing is getting prayer, okay? So we're going to have a prayer team up front. If you need prayer for anything, you need a prophetic word for anything, our prayer team will be right up here. If you're online, you can email prayer at mycenterpoint.tv. And also, if you haven't connected with us or you want to sign your kids up for barf night, head out to those blue tables right out there. We love you, church family. We'll see you next week.